see you guys. You doing well this morning? All right, me too. I, I was uh, telling someone earlier, uh, maybe right before the service, uh, that, that going with our students to camp, it, it used to seem like it just turned my odometer back, you know, like it made me younger. And now I think it, it, it turns it back and it moves it forward. For, for some reason, as I get a little bit older, I feel like I get younger, but when I get home, I feel like I've aged a little bit as well. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I'm excited to be home. It was uh, really nice to sleep in my own bed the last couple of nights. And uh, I, I know Donnie's already walked out, but let me tell you, Donnie and the leaders, the adult leaders, did a fantastic job leading these students. I, I say it every year, and it's true every year, that um, uh, this year was the best we've ever had. We just had great students and great leaders, and I'm sure I'll say that about next year's as well, but it, it was a great, great week. And as Donnie's already said, thank you for helping and supporting in so many ways, uh, financially, prayer, all of those things matter. So just once again, thank you, Rocky River Church. So anyway, it's great to see you guys today. If you're a, a first-time guest with us, my name is Jimmy. I'm the lead pastor here at Rocky River, and uh, if uh, we've never had the chance to meet before, after the service is over, I'm going to be out in the lobby, and so I'd love to have a chance to shake your hand, say hello, uh, learn your name, and uh, hopefully I can remember it going forward, but don't hold your breath on that. If you have a Bible with you, open it up or turn it on and go to the Gospel of Matthew, which is not too hard to find in your Bible if you're, if you're brand new to the Bible. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Uh, once you find Matthew, go to chapter 5. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Also take out your message notes, and you'll see on the notes that you have the Scripture passages that I'm going to be looking at this morning on the front. And then on the back, there's a place for you to make just a few notes. And uh, today, I'm going to, well, how do I say this? We're kicking off a brand new message series through the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. And, and listen, it is packed full of stuff. I mean, it is just packed full and uh, my temptation as a preacher and a teacher is to, to figure out, okay, how can we go through a passage like this, realizing that it's three chapters, how, how can we go through this in like five or six weeks? And there's just no way. There's no way for me to do it, and there's no way for anyone to do it and really give this passage of Scripture justice. So we're going to spend a number of weeks, we're probably going to spend eight to ten weeks just in these three chapters because it's, it's that important and there's just so much stuff in here. I mean, some, some of the most important things that Jesus had to say to us are found in these three chapters. And if I could start naming some things off and you would realize that some of the most memorable things that Jesus said, some of the things that you remember best about what Jesus said are right here in these three chapters. 
Now, my struggle with today is uh, I'm going to let you guys out a little bit early. I'm going to do something I don't think I've done in 19 years. I'm going to preach a short sermon. Amen? I'm not going to let you go right this moment, so don't get too excited. But I am probably going to let you guys out a little bit early today because... My, my struggle for the last couple of days in looking at this passage of Scripture is, is how do you set up the Sermon on the Mount? How, how do you explain what it is? And I'm a, I'm a Bible explainer. I, I feel like before you can apply something, you have to understand it first. And there's just, there's just some things that you really need to know about the sermon so that we can really get into the sermon. So I'll say more about what the Beatitudes are later. There are eight of them in these first 12 verses. Today we're going to look at one of them. And then next week we'll look at the other seven. But there are some things that I feel like you need to know about this series. And by the way, we're calling this series Salt Life. In... Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, which I think you have in your notes and it's coming up on the screen. Jesus gives what I think is the key verse to the whole passage, the, the whole sermon, not, not just today's message, but the whole sermon. And here it is. Jesus said to his disciples and the crowd that's listening, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, I want you guys to read this out loud with me. Are you up to that? I know it's only 830 and we're right up front in the message, but do you think you can read this with me? And you know, if you don't read it loudly, we're going to read it again, okay? So here, here we go. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste... How can it be salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Man, give yourselves a hand. You guys did great with that. Very good. Now, now during this series, you're going to learn more about salt than you ever wanted to know. Uh, I, I've been reading a fantastic book. Next week, I'll include it in your message notes. But it's the world history of salt. Now, doesn't that sound exciting? <laughs> Nate, that's what your pastor does in his free time. I don't get to read cool stuff. I read stuff like the history of salt. But it's a fascinating book. And uh, each week we're going to read Matthew 5, 13 together because, again, that's the, the key verse for our series and I think the key verse for the whole sermon and then after we read it together, I'm going to share with you a few things about salt. Salt is important in the world today, and it has been throughout history. Did you know that wars have been fought over salt? Not just the war on cholesterol either. I mean, literal wars. How many civil war buffs do we have in the room? Paul, you and I share a love for the American Civil War. How many others? American Civil War buffs, just me and Paul. Okay, well, Paul, I'm just talking to you right now then. Did, did you know 
that there were two battles in the Civil War fought over salt. Because I did not know that until this week. Two of them. It's, the, it's battles one and two of Saltville in Virginia. In Saltville, that's a real place. In Virginia. So, so think about it. Before there was refrigeration, you would use salt to preserve meat. And that's what you would do in, in your own family. Well, if, if you had an army that's on the move, you didn't need just a little bit of salt. You needed lots and lots of salt so that you could preserve all of their food. I mean, two really important battles in the Civil War were fought over salt. Um, at one time, salt was a marker of a person's wealth. For example, during Roman times, and by the way, the Sermon on the Mount is set in the context of Roman times. The Romans were in charge of Judea when Jesus was alive on earth and preaching and, and doing ministry. But during Roman times, soldiers were paid in salt. That's where the phrase comes from, are you worth your salt? Have you ever heard that phrase before? It's also where um, the English word, uh, our, our word for salary comes from, from salt. Well, here's, here's one more. Have you ever heard a person described as a salt of the earth kind of person? You, you, have you heard of that? It's kind of an, an older phrase. And usually it's used for, uh, for someone who's being described as a, maybe a plain person, but a good person. Um, a, a person that's trustworthy, a person that's dependable. They're just a salt of the earth kind of person. Well, that phrase comes directly from Matthew 5.13. In Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. It's not just a phrase that's important for just that one little verse. It's not like... Jesus just stuck this in there. It's what the whole sermon is about. It's about how to be a salt of the earth kind of person. And, and even more specifically, because this is not just about how to be trustworthy and dependable. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus explaining to his disciples and anyone else who would listen how to live like a follower of Jesus in the world. It's an explanation for how to live out real and genuine faith in the world. Have you ever seen a person that lived a, a, a fake Christian life. They talked about Jesus, had a big preacher kind of Bible, um, used Christian ease, but then didn't live like Jesus. Yeah, me too. And, and unfortunately, if I'm being honest, 
that's probably been me at different times. But the Sermon on the Mount is about how to live real, genuine, authentic faith in Jesus Christ. Now, before we start unpacking the Sermon on the Mount, I think it's important that we understand who Jesus is talking to. Let's take a look at the first couple of verses, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now, Jesus, by the way, Jesus has already been doing ministry. In chapter 4, if, if you'll go back, you can find the context for really the whole Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been doing considerable ministry. He's been teaching people and healing people. And he has, he's already called his disciples. There are, are a number of people that are already following Jesus. Huge crowds are coming out to hear Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the greatest show on earth, at least in Judea. Mark in his gospel says that at times it was easier to count the people who were not showing up to hear Jesus than to count the people who were actually there listening to Jesus. So, I mean, especially at first, huge crowds of people are coming to hear Jesus. Well, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, all right, so who is Jesus speaking to? His disciples and the crowd. Now, let's jump all the way to the end of that passage. And I don't think you have these verses in your notes. I'm sure that you don't. I'm going to go all the way to the very end of the sermon. Remember that the Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. So, again, we're going almost all the way to the very end. Jesus says to his disciples in the crowd, to anyone who would listen, therefore, everyone, the word everyone means everyone. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise person who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, The winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. And then literally the last couple of lines in the sermon. Actually, those are the last lines, but then Matthew gives a little bit of commentary. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like the scribes. One of the reasons people came to hear Jesus is because he was real. Jesus took a seat on that little hill or little knoll there that he's teaching on like a rabbi. In fact, there are several places in the Gospels where people refer to Jesus as rabbi, Rabboni Yeshua. Jesus was likely a Pharisee. 
One of the reasons that Jesus probably felt so comfortable, and of course, I mean, he ought to feel comfortable uh, no matter who, who he is or who the crowd is just because he's Jesus. But Jesus probably felt comfortable criticizing the religious leaders, especially the Pharisees and the scribes, because he was one of them. There are people in the Gospels who were complete strangers to Jesus. Jesus would have known them, but they didn't know Jesus. And they identified him straight away as a rabbi. Jesus was a religious teacher. But the people were coming to listen to him. They would have probably bought tickets if that was required. But people were coming to listen to Jesus because he didn't, he didn't teach like the other religious leaders. He, he didn't teach them uh, just something that he didn't believe in, something that he didn't care about, something that he didn't know was life-changing. Jesus taught them as one who had authority. And when Jesus was speaking religious things to them, it just made sense. Jesus was a, a no-nonsense kind of teacher. And the people loved him for it. So who is he speaking to? Well, again, he's talking to his disciples. And when we say the disciples, we're, we're talking about this small group, the small group of 12 these are people who have decided that they're going to follow Jesus. They're believers. They're listening to him. They're, they're walking with him. They're learning from him. They're growing with him and their understanding of who he is. And he huddles them in a little bit tighter. But Jesus is not only talking to those who do believe in him. He's talking to everyone else. He's talking to anyone in that crowd who will listen. Here's why I think this is so important. It's because I realized that over the, the next several weeks, I'm going to be talking to basically two groups of people. I'm going to be talking to believers, disciples, those of you who are the already convinced, you, you already know who Jesus is. You've made up your mind about him and you're gonna follow him. And then I'm gonna be speaking to the other group of people, which is made up of those who don't really know what to do with Jesus yet. The undecided. But you're interested you're interested enough to be here today. You, you want to know more. And so what I want to challenge you to do over the next several weeks, whether you've been following Jesus most of your life or, or, or you've been following him for a short time or, or you're one of those folks that we started Rocky River Church for. You're a person who's just kicking the tires. You, you don't really know what to do with Jesus. You haven't made up your mind, but you're interested enough to be here. What I wanna ask you to do is just lean into Jesus. Look, open your ears and listen. 
Open your mind up to spiritual things. Listen to Jesus like you've never listened to him before. Because the answers to your questions about who Jesus is and what he expects from us are right here in these verses. What he wants from us and what he expects. I'll say just a little bit more about that in a few minutes. What I want to do now is, is read these 12 verses to you. I'm going to include the first couple of verses, even though we've already read those. I want you to listen to, to, to all of this together. And you can follow along in your notes or you can listen along. But w- what we're going to look at this week and next week are what's called Beatitudes. How many of you have ever heard of the Beatitudes? Just a show of hands. Well, say the word with me, Beatitudes. One more time, but twice as loud. Beatitudes. Beatitudes are what we call the eight blessed are statements. Um, Jesus begins each of these beatitudes by saying, blessed are. For, For example, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is there. So what does blessed are really mean? It means happy are. So you could understand this as Jesus saying, happy are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is there. Each of these beatitudes represents an attitude. It's it's a characteristic that's really one step toward contentment and happiness. So if you're not happy with your life, if you're not content in life, well, Jesus has something to say to you. If you feel like there should be more to your life than what you're living, you're right. And Jesus shows us the way to happiness, not just happiness on the outside, but true happiness, which is contentment and joy on the inside of a person. What we call happiness is really external things. If my bills are paid, I can be happy. If I'm not arguing with my wife or my husband, well, then I'm happy. If my kids are not in trouble, then I'm happy. If my team picks up a wide receiver that I think is decent in the draft, then I'm happy. So I'm not sure about that one. I'll have to let you know at the end of the fall. But Jesus is not talking about the external. He's talking about the internal. And he gives us these eight characteristics, these eight attitudes that lead to happiness and contentment. Now, These Beatitudes, there are eight of them. They're broken up into two categories. The first category, the the first, well, I should say groups. The first group of the Beatitudes deal with how we're to relate to God. The second group of the Beatitudes teach us how to relate to others. And it's it's interesting. Um, I'll point 
this out just a little clearer in, uh, in the next, when we start in the, in the first couple of verses. But when Matthew sees Jesus walk up onto this hill, keep in mind that Matthew was a Jewish believer. He sees the second Moses. He sees the new lawgiver. And it's not really that Jesus gives us new things. What Jesus does is he explains the law of Moses. And, and he gives commentary on it. And he teaches us as new members in the family of God how to live out the law, how to live out the commands of Jesus. And in the Ten Commandments, the first four are about how you relate to God. The next six are about how you relate to others. One of the things I think is important about this is that you'll never get your relationships with others right until your relationship is right with God. All right, so let's dive in. You ready? Ready? All right. Again, I'm going to read all of this together, but we're going to go back and only unpack the first beatitude. When he saw the crowds, and this is, of course, Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them. Now, I, I thought it might be interesting if you could just, if you could see this mountain, if you could just see what this place looks like. Because one of the things I try to tell you guys uh, whenever I can is that the places that we read about in the Bible are real places. They're places that you can go to. And I've taken a couple of pictures over the years of different parts of the Holy Land. That's not a great picture, but that's from the Sea of Galilee. And the... The Mount of Beatitudes is what it's called. Now, it wasn't called that when Jesus was there. It was just a part of Capernaum, which is where Jesus' headquarters for his ministry were while he was here on earth. But back in these trees is the traditional spot where Jesus would have given the Sermon on the Mount, including the Beatitudes that we're going to read this morning. And then there's a church that's built on that site today. It's an Italian church, just a beautiful place, and it has the Sermon on the Mount and uh, the Beatitudes engraved in the walls. And so it's just a great place to go back and read the Sermon on the Mount and read through the Beatitudes and, you know, just imagine that you were a part of the crowd that day. Well, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, because that's what a rabbi would do, he would sit down to speak. I'm not sure why. Preachers today don't sit down to speak. I, from time to time, I'd like to have a stool to sit on up here. But then you might call me Rabbo and I, Jimmy. <laughs> then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then Jesus says more about this beatitude. Verses 11 and 12. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. And what may be interesting about this, not to overuse the word interesting, well, maybe to overuse it, The religious leaders have already started to persecute Jesus. In his ministry, by this point, they're already accusing him of things. And so it's very likely that, you know, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes would have had box seats. Now, you know, back there on that hill, there's not box seats, but... They would have had the the close-up seats. They they would be sitting right near Jesus. So it's likely that when Jesus called his disciples to come in a little closer, and he's, he's talking to everyone, but he's speaking directly to them. He says, you are blessed when they, and he likely points at the religious leaders, because those are that's where the persecution comes from. He points at them and says, blessed are you when they insult you and they persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so that just grinds on the religious leaders. They hated hearing this, but Jesus told them the truth. Let's look at the first beatitude. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I'll say more about this next week. But to understand the beatitudes, you you have to see them in light of the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament is the backdrop for what Jesus says here. At first, to be poor meant just to need material things. We, we understand what poor is, don't we? Don't we? Um, if you would have been some of the places we were this week with our kids, you would have maybe a different understanding of what poor is really about. So at first it was about the material things, but gradually um, because the needy could only find their refuge in God, poor came to be identified with a humble dependence on God. So to be poor in spirit means to acknowledge your spiritual poverty, that, that we are spiritually bankrupt before God, that we are sinners who deserve only the judgment of God, that we offer nothing, we have nothing to plead with, nothing to bargain with, and no way to buy the favor of God. And only those who realize that they're sinners can inherit the kingdom of God. Only the person that realizes 
that salvation is a gift from God and that it's totally undeserved can receive the gift of God. And it has to be received with the humility of a child. One has to believe that only God can provide for his or her greatest needs, which are our spiritual needs. I was just going to deal with all of the Beatitudes next week, so why deal with one today? Because the Beatitudes build on top of each other. And I wanted you to have to sit with this one this week. I wanted to have the opportunity to tell you that you are a poor, wretched sinner. You have a debt of sin that can never be repaid by anyone but Jesus. You know, this is the sermon where Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? This verse is meant for us to understand that with, without Jesus, we have nothing. But when you have Jesus, you have everything. And I want to ask you to make a commitment. We don't like commitment today, but I'm going to ask you to make one. We can't go, not, not all of us, maybe one day physically we'll, a, a group of us will be able to go to the Holy Land together. But symbolically... I want to invite you to the Mount of Beatitudes. I want you to come and sit in the crowd. And I realize again that some of us are going to sit in the crowd like we're already followers of Jesus because we are. But then some of you are still trying to figure it out. You're trying to decide. But I want you to, to, to come to the mountain to listen to Jesus Open up your ears so that you can hear him. Open up your mind so that he can help you understand the things that he wants to say to you. And open up your heart so that you'll let these things come into your life. And you can understand maybe for the first time ever what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That means you're going to have to learn some new things. That means you're going to have to face some old things. That means you're going to have to bring some new things into your life and let Jesus push some old things out. But it'll be worth it. Will you go on this adventure? For the next let's say 10 weeks. If you have a vacation in there, it's all right. But Carowinds doesn't count. Go to Carowinds after church. Will you make a commitment to spend some time listening to Jesus?
to decide what you're going to do with them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for what it has to say to us. And Lord, we we know that whenever we go to the scripture, we're not just hearing a man's words. We're hearing from you. Lord, I pray for, for those that are here and listening this morning. Whether they're disciples, already believers, or still trying to decide. I pray that for the next 10 weeks or so, you would speak to us and do things in our lives that we never even imagined. Let us hear you and know you like we never have before. Jesus, it's in your great name we pray. Those who agreed said, amen. So guess what? I didn't let you out early. Boom, the streak continues. Church.